All right, welcome back. We're going to get back into the book of Ruth. Uh, we're in chapter 4, just a couple messages left in Ruth. I think after we get done uh, going through the life of Ruth, we're going to go into the book of Esther. Uh, another book where um, God really is not mentioned, but uh, is pictured greatly throughout the book and God's provision. Um, last week we saw Boaz begin to act on his promise to Ruth. He went to the gate of the city. He gathered the ten elders of the city. He found the other kinsmen and presented him with the opportunity. And at first the other kinsman was willing uh, to redeem Naomi. Uh, but when he heard that Ruth was involved, he declined. And now it's time for Boaz to step up. Um, and this week he's going to fulfill his promise. Um, and he's going to do it in a way that is completely out in the open. Uh, we're going to see again, Boaz is trying to do everything completely above board, beyond reproach, um, in a way much like we should live our lives. So, Ruth chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse number 6. Ruth chapter 4 and verse number 6, and the Bible says, And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kylon's and Malon's sorry, Kylion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephratah, and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Pharaohs, whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed, which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we love you. Again, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to hear your word, Lord, for, for sending uh, this truth to us, Lord, for, for providing and, and preparing and Lord, for keeping this word for us for all these years so that we could have it, we could read it, we could know and understand your heart. So God, please speak to us today. Help us to see the truth that you'd have for us. Help us uh, to see ourselves as you see us. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, now it's Boaz's time to shine. He has made a promise he has done everything he can to live up to that promise. He's given the other kinsmen the opportunity, and he has refused. And now it's Boaz's time to step up and, and uh, finish the vow that he's made. Uh, and he's going to. Uh, the offer, this is going to be confirmed. The offer was rejected by the kinsmen, and Boaz, as a man of his word, takes the opportunity to perform the act of redemption. And the men swap shoes. Now this was symbolic, uh, or it was a symbolic gesture that the Bible tells us is historically accurate. It tells us this is the manner in former times in Israel that they would swap shoes. They would uh, 
the one selling and the one buying would they would swap shoes. This gives permission and authority for the person that is buying to be able to walk upon land that was not uh, theirs to begin with. This is the kinsman's way of saying of giving permission uh, to walk where I should where I shouldn't walk. It's interesting today as I travel around the area and and growing up here it wasn't as bad as it is today but uh, I travel around and I see all of these signs posted that say no trespassing and and uh, they don't want people in. Um, I, I am a member of the Isaac Walton League. We've always uh, been a member out there. It's It's been a closed club um, but it's closed for safety reasons because we've had people trying to run their four-wheelers down the rifle range while we're shooting shotguns across the rifle range and just not paying attention. But there are so many places that are that are off limits that you have to be a member of it. Even our park, as Rachel and I walk uh, during the week and we go out and try and walk in the evenings and we go down around the park and the park closes at sunset. And I understand the reason they've closed the park is because uh, of vandalism, you know, the sun goes down, the crazy people come out, things get destroyed. And I understand that, but uh, so many places we have to ask permission to be. And here, God had commanded Israel, we, we've seen it over and over again through the book of Ruth, that God had commanded Israel that their fields were, were open to the poor, to the widow, to the, the fatherless, to, to glean and to... That they weren't supposed they were supposed to leave the corners standing so that they had uh, they could provide for these people and and there wasn't this idea of personal space that we have today yet only certain people were allowed to work that land if you didn't own the land you didn't work the land if you weren't hired by the person that owned the land you didn't work the land uh, you just you took it upon yourself to stay away and, and here these men are, are giving permission. And I, I understand this as I, when I grew up, I, I was a, what they would call a latchkey kid. So uh, we lived about three miles out of town in the country and, and I would get up in the morning and get on the bus and go to school and then I would ride the bus home and from the time I got off the bus till the time mom or dad got home from work, I was there by myself from the time I was about six years old all the way through high school and um, but I would have people come up, especially starting this time of year, getting into uh, October, November when the, the deer are starting to rut and people are wanting to hunt. Dad's property was right along the creek. It backed up to the Robinson Acres and the Isaac Walton. So uh, they're both no hunting areas. So there was a lot of deer that would run through Dad's property. <clears throat> and I would get random people pulling into the driveway and trying to tell me that Dad had given them permission to hunt. Well, there was a couple of tests. If they didn't know who I was, they weren't allowed to be there. If Dad didn't tell me that they were going to be there, they weren't allowed to be there. And if they couldn't pronounce our last name, <laughs> I knew they weren't allowed to be there. And, but it's amazing how many times over the years people would try this. And, and I knew every one of Dad's friends. I knew every person that was supposed to be anywhere near that property I knew them personally, and and these people would just randomly come by. And I can remember many, many times Dad would look out the window and he'd see somebody parked down on the bridge uh, on the creek on the edge of the property, and he'd 
get out the phone and call the DNR because they're down there spotting deer. They're getting ready to, to poach. And, uh, you know, he was very tight with what he does. As a matter of fact, um, when Rachel and I first got married, um, I had to call him and ask permission to go hunt his pasture to take her hunting. And um, he almost said no <laughs> because there was somebody else that he'd already given permission to. But here, Boaz and this kinsman, and we still don't know the other kinsman's name, and it really doesn't matter, but they are, they are finalizing this contract. They are, they are giving each other permission to be where they're supposed to be. Boaz is taking ownership of the land, but not just of the land. He's taking ownership of Ruth and, and ownership of Naomi, and, and he's going to take care of them, and he's going to provide for them. And he makes an open proclamation in, in verse number 9. Boaz said unto the elders and to all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kylion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. Boaz, as a picture of Christ, could do nothing in secret. We looked at uh, John chapter 7 last week. I think we're in John chapter 7. Anyway, in our, in our message last week, in the book of John last Sunday night, uh, we saw that Christ tried to go up in secret to the, the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles, and uh, he gets found in the temple teaching, and he can't do anything in secret. He has to do it in the open. Um, Boaz had gathered ten witnesses. Only one other witness was required to make this legal, to make this binding. But Boaz had gathered ten. He wanted the whole city to know what was happening, and he proclaims out loud exactly what he's doing. So that there's no doubt in anyone's mind that, the, that what has occurred. There's no doubt why it has occurred, and there's no doubt what's going to happen. There's no room for gossip or lies to be spread in this case. Christ performed the same act on the cross. He could not have died in secret. The tomb had to be guarded day and night. It had to be sealed in place, and it had to be uh, the seal had to be placed on it to confirm that it had not been opened. Um, all of this had to be done. It had to take place. It wasn't just by chance. It wasn't just uh, the whim of the Romans. It had to take place so that it could be told beyond any reasonable doubt that Christ rose from the dead, that he died, was buried in the earth for three days, and on the third day rose from the dead. And then when he arose, remember, as the, the earth quaked and the stone rolled away, uh, there was two guards there, and Christ spoke to them, and they, they fell down as dead men. Um, those two guards would eventually come too, and they would be paid to lie and say that the disciples had come and stolen the, stolen the body by night. But, but all of this was done. And then Christ reveals himself. He revealed himself to the two guards. He revealed himself to the women as they came to, to uh, anoint the body. He revealed himself to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then he revealed himself to over 500 witnesses. Again, only two are required by Jewish law for something to be true. Everything he did, he did excessively so that there was no doubt as to what happened. 
He didn't leave any room for error. A great miracle of redemption had taken place and had been completed. He said on the cross, it is finished. And it is finished is what Boaz is telling the elders that were gathered here today. I have done this. This is all past tense. This is what is happening. The contract was signed. Boaz's proclamation completes the redemption process for Ruth and Naomi. And the only thing left for them to do, for Ruth and Naomi to do, is to accept this. The price has been paid. It's time for them to start living like it. So many for us today don't understand that the price has already been paid. There's people all over the city that are living with no hope because they don't know and don't understand that Christ already paid the price. The elders agree. They recognize the situation with Boaz and they agree to be witnesses. They agree that this is this is what happened. They're going to present the truth. They're going to know and understand what is going on. And they're going to give Ruth and, and Boaz a blessing. Their blessing to Ruth is, Lord, make... Uh, isn't found in verse number 11. And all the people that were in the, in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come un, into thine house, like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephrata, and be famous in Bethlehem. Now, I find it interesting here that they, they talk about Rachel and Leah. Now, I understand <clears throat> Rachel and Leah were Jacob's wives. We know the story. Jacob went to Laban, flee, fleeing from Esau after he'd stolen the birthright, after he'd stolen the blessing uh, from Isaac. So he fled. He gets to Laban and he sees Rachel and decides he's in love with her. And he decides to serve Laban for seven years in order to be able to marry Rachel. And then Laban uh, instead gives him Leah. And then he serves another seven years and he's given Rachel. And then he serves six more years, it's supposed to be seven, uh, to get a herd from Laban. Uh, and then after six years he leaves. So through these two women and their handmaids, we get the twelve fathers. Uh, you get the twelve tribes of Israel. And that's what they're talking about here. They're, they're glossing over the fact that Rachel and Leah were evil and wicked people. That, that they were idolaters. That they were uh, constantly battling with each other to see uh, who could be better at giving birth to children. They're just praying that Ruth would be fruitful. And then they go on and they say, And let thy house, speaking to Boaz, let thy house be like the house of Pharaoh, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. Pharaoh was a, a great man uh, <clears throat> in Israel, but he was born out of a, a sinful relationship. If you remember the story of Judah and Tamar, Judah had three sons. Tamar married the first one. The first son died. Uh, she was given to the second son. The second son, or sorry, the first son was killed by the Lord. The second son refused to do his duty uh, and raise up a child under the, second, under the first son, 
and the Lord killed him. And then Judah promised to give Tamar to the youngest when he was grown, and when he was grown, he gave him to someone else and left Tamar out in the cold. And Tamar had that relationship with Judah. Uh, she disguised herself as a harlot, and, and all of that happened. And out of that came Pharaoh's. Now, Pharaoh's was a wise and great man. But he was a man born of sin. And this is a great picture for us because Ruth, again, we've talked about it over and over again, Ruth is not supposed to be here. What Boaz is doing is against what God had said. He is going to marry a Moabite. But because of Ruth's character, because God went and brought her back from Moab, allowed her to come back because of her virtue this is going to be uh, a great relationship and we we see at the end of the book that they go through the they throw in the generations of Pharaohs. now when Pharaohs was born i can't remember the exact passage but there's there's a saying that because of the relationship with tamar and judah that he no one could rule in his family for the 10th generation and they add this in, and if you count all the names, David is the tenth. And David becomes the second great, the second king of Israel. Possibly the greatest king of Israel. <clears throat> this child... Again, even though everything that was done was beyond reproach, it, this child was going to still be an affront to God. But God allowed it in His grace and His mercy. Never forget, again, that Christ in His grace and mercy died for you and I when we were yet sinners and undeserving of eternity with God. Again, another great picture of Christ through Boaz. But the most important thing to remember out of all of this is that it's done. The fact that it is done separates us from every other belief system. This process of redemption is complete. Boaz has bought the land, he's redeemed Ruth and Naomi, they are provided for for the rest of their lives. Christ bought and paid for us with his blood and we are provided for for the rest of our lives. All the other religions of the world say do, do, do and do because they focus on work for salvation. But redemption is done. It's complete. And that's the message we need to take to the rest of this community. That's the message we've been taking, is that Christ paid for all of it. We just need to help them to see and understand that there's nothing else that has to be done. They just have to accept it. Next week, we're going to see the new baby and we're going to see the generations we're going to finish up the book of Ruth but as we go throughout the week 
we need to walk in the light of the fact that it's already done. Not just our redemptive process, not just the fact that we can spend eternity in heaven, but as we looked at this morning, earlier this morning with Gideon, God had already began to provide and make a way. He had already raised up Gideon. He had already given him instruction. And now Gideon is seeking that path. The things that are happening in our lives have already been ordained. And God is there and God has provided for all of those. It's done. We need to just rest in that and focus on following Him. Focus on obeying Him.